We're going to continue our study in the book of Mark. Sometimes we come to these special Sundays and weekends, uh, tempted to just, you know, preach a, a message on, on uh, firecrackers or something, you know. Um, uh, but I want to continue with uh, Mark because we have interruptions in our, our schedule, and if we uh, just uh, always uh, came up with different messages, then we'd never get through this book. But uh, uh, we'll get through it eventually, unless the Lord comes, which he certainly could. Mark chapter 13, we're in the Olivet Discourse, and this is part two, uh, chapter 13, beginning in verse 14 uh, through 20. And as we continue uh, this uh, part of the study of the uh, Olivet Discourse, Jesus offers additional details concerning the end times and the coming tribulation upon the earth. And while these verses kind of are mysterious in a sense, uh, we don't know all the fine details, and so it's sometimes kind of mysterious to us, and it's difficult for us to discern. They do reveal to us actual events that will transpire upon this earth, even prior to the second coming of Christ. Uh, our text deals with probably the middle of the second or the, of the great tribulation. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, we believe you'll not be here during that time. And uh, that doesn't mean we don't study God's Word to see what it has for us, uh, because uh, uh, we need to know that the great tribulation is a time of great suffering and desolation, unlike this world has ever experienced. Not only will there will be intense persecution of those who do believe in Christ during that time, but God will also pour out his wrath upon the earth for the sin and the wickedness that has permeated the world at that time. Uh, clearly, this will be a dreadful time, and I'm sure glad that I'm not going to be here. But as we continue to examine the Olivet Discourse, I want to discuss the affirmations of Jesus that as we consider uh, this uh, this aspect of uh, his teaching here. Notice, first of all, the appearance of abomination. Verse 14, verse 14 and, and the first part. But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. Uh, Jesus spoke of the appearance of the abomination of desolation standing within the temple. That's where he was when he was talking about this. And we notice, first of all, the identity. Uh, we can accurately identify the abomination of desolation as a part of the Antichrist who will appear on the world stage during the tribulation. Uh, he'll be a minister of Satan. He's going to wreak havoc and destruction upon the earth. Uh, it's prophesied in the book of Daniel, and then it's also revealed in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 13, we read in verse 5, And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it shall be given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given 
uh, him over the, all kindreds and tongues and nations and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Now some would argue, well, that's already happened. Well, uh, Jesus, uh, 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 they're, they're saying that Jesus is not talking about literal events. Well, we do know that Antiochus Epiphanes uh, desecrated the temple in 178 B.C. prior to the birth of Jesus. And we do read in history that Antiochus Epiphanes, the king of Syria, conquered Jerusalem and tried to force Grecian culture upon the Jews. Uh, he wanted the Jews to become full-fledged Greeks, both in their customs and their religion. And he knew that to be successful, he had to destroy the Jewish religion. And therefore, he did three of the most horrible things that could ever be done in the minds of Jewish people. He desecrated the temple. He did that by building in the, uh, an altar in the courtyard to the Grecian god, god Zeus. And then he sacrificed swine's flesh upon it. Well, that's something that Jews wouldn't put up with or wouldn't, wouldn't like. And then thirdly, he set up a trade of prostitution in the temple chambers. Now, some argue this prophecy was fulfilled in AD 70 when Titus destroyed the temple, burned Jerusalem. And I think uh, Jesus spoke of literal events that will transpire in the future uh, during the Great Tribulation. And by the way, there is a movement in our own country today to destroy the Christian faith. Uh, and they're doing it very, uh, have been doing it for the last 20 years, trying to get everybody to accept socialism and Marxism. And uh, they're going to destroy uh, churches if you let them. And they're going to destroy and persecute those who are Christians. So it's a very similar thing here. They're talking about, uh, I was uh, talking about here about the Jews uh, being desecrated, their temple being desecrated. But uh, there's some thinking going on in our, our world today that would uh, uh, put us in, in the very same situation. So the identity. Secondly, the atrocity. Here we see also the corruption and devastation that the Antichrist is going to bring to Jerusalem and those throughout the world. Three and a half years. Remember, the tribulation is a seven-year period after Jesus comes uh, to take away uh, uh, saints uh, from this earth. Uh, he's going to take them away, and there's going to be a great tribulation. It's going to be seven years long, but three and a half years after making the covenant with Israel, the Antichrist is going to break that covenant, and he's going to begin a campaign of corruption and mayhem. Uh, this will be ushered in as he storms the newly rebuilt temple and sets himself up within the holy place as God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4 says, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's the Antichrist. Now at this moment, the horrified Jews will know that they have been deceived, but it's going to be too late. The campaign of death and destruction will begin the Antichrist will destroy countless of those throughout the world, including those who refuse to worship him. Again, we saw that in Revelation 13. Secondly, secondly we notice the abundance of devastation. This is 
seen in verse 14 through 18 uh, as uh, at the uh, we continue on in verse 14. Jesus spoke of a great devastation uh, the world will endure at this moment. Notice first the proclamation. Verse 14, he says, Then let them be in Judea, flee to the mountains. Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. We must remember that the world will be in the midst of the great tribulation at this time. The Antichrist will have his grip of power, ruling the world under the direction of Satan himself. The seals will begin to be opened in heaven, and God will unleash his wrath upon the earth. And while the entire world will be focused uh, to uh, or be forced to deal with the devastation of the tribulation, Jesus speaks directly to those who are dwelling in Judea. He speaks directly to the nation of Israel. And although the Antichrist will not discriminate with his plan of devastation and suffering, he will direct much of his anger and his destruction toward the nation of Israel. Uh, Jesus warns that those who dwell in Israel at that time will need to flee to the mountains in an effort to escape the suffering brought on by the Antichrist. And through this very specific warning, we discover there's much of the hatred and animosity of the Antichrist that's going to be directed at Israel. Satan tried to eliminate Israel in an effort to destroy the bloodline of Messiah. He's been trying to do that all through history. Uh, they will face an intense and especially hateful attack during the tribulation. Israel's always been forced to deal with the assault of an enemy. They're still being forced to, de uh, to deal with that even today. Many of the Arab nations uh, are at odds with Israel, and, and uh, that's why get, they get some uh, bombardment of rockets from time to time from the surrounding countries. But much of the world is opposed to the existence of this nation. So you have the proclamation. Then in verse 15 and 16, we have the separation. In verse 15, And let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. And let him that is in the field not turn back again to take up his garment. Jesus revealed the urgency that this moment would require for those in Judea at that time. Be no time to make last minute preparations. They will need to immediately flee into the mountains in an effort to escape the devastation that Antichrist was going to bring. And those that were on the housetop would not have time to go into the house and gather up some provisions. Those who were out in the field would not have time to go back home and gather their clothes for the journey. When that moment of desperation would strike, they would need to flee immediately to the mountains. They would need to seek safety and shelter. And all of this is set in motion by the Antichrist, desecrating the temple and setting himself up as God. And following that event, he will unleash his campaign of terror against Israel. And when they hear of the abomination of desolation in the temple, they're going to need to immediately flee to the mountains. You know, if there's a fire, or if there's a flood, or some catastrophe at your house, that's going to destroy your possessions. Think about it. I don't know, some of you probably had a fire sometime along the way. Some of you probably had involved in a flood. What, how important are your possessions? Just how important are all the things that you've collected over the years? And, uh, 
Would you try to gather all those up and try to get out of there before the fire took them down? Uh, would you, you know, the flood's coming. The water's coming. Are you going to try to gather everything up and try to get it out of the house? The point I'm making here is that so many times our possessions that we possess really possess us. When the ship goes down, you don't have to go down with it. You know, uh, those possessions are not that important. Notice thirdly, the desperation. Verse 17, But woe to them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. Jesus offers a very specific warning to women who are pregnant or nursing children when this dreadful time comes. He knew this would be a difficult journey to make. It was going to be emotional and it was going to be very difficult, much less with the added stress that accompanies a pregnant or nursing mother. Uh, they would not only have to care for themselves, but they're going to have to care for the unborn or infant child. And clearly we see this warning of Jesus, the difficulty and the desperation of any moment. You know, many times people today laugh and they joke about hell. Uh, they laugh and they joke about the end times, you know. Uh, but you know what? This is not going to be a laughing matter. Those who are forced to deal with this, especially the believing Jews in Israel, will face a time unlike that they've ever experienced. Can you imagine having to flee into the mountains with basically what you carry in your hands without knowing exactly where you're going to spend the night or what type of shelter or provision you're going to have available? This will be a startling reality for many in that day. Notice, fourthly, the supplication. He says in verse 18, And pray that your flight be not in the winter. Jesus also revealed that those should pray that they would not be forced to flee into the mountains during the winter months. Matthew warned of having to flee on the Sabbath. And we understand that the difficulties associated with traveling in the winter months. Sometimes we have a hard time traveling here in the winter months. And also, even though uh, these will be Jews who receive Christ as Savior, they're going to be likely to be hindered by legalistic, unbelieving Jews who are going to force, uh, they're going to be forced to flee with on that Sabbath. And they will face during uh, being stoned or abused. And they greatly restrict the activities on that day. Simply, Jesus warns this time will uh, have sufficient difficulty without added stress and hindrances. They should pray that their escape would be quick and easy. So that's the abundance, and that's a lot. Uh, that's a lot to deal with. And then notice the attendance of tri tribulation, verse 19 and 20. For in those days shall the affliction be, be the affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be, and except that the Lord hath shortened those days, no flesh shall be saved, but for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. You notice here, first of all, the severity. The severity. Jesus warned when the tribulation comes, there'll be a time of devastation unlike the world has ever experienced. It'll be a time of unrivaled suffering and wrath, past and future. And again, while the book of Revelation reveals a lot of the details, in chapters 6 through 16, it remains beyond our ability, in, in one sense, to comprehend it. 
The prophets of old had insight to this time of devastation. And yet they too were unable to fully grasp it. I look at Joel chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm in the holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh. For it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and a thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong. There hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even the years of many generations. I'm convinced that humanity really lacks the vocabulary and wisdom to fully describe the horrors that will be unleashed there. It's beyond our ability and and to comprehend even the worst of these events. You know, think of the wars that we've had in our own country's history. The campaign in World War II against the terror of Hitler. Again, many of these wars that we our men have fought and our relatives who fought and lost their lives and so forth, uh, they were uh, wars that uh, were to help uh, maintain the freedoms that you and I enjoy today. But you think for, the mo- for a moment the, how Hitler unleashed his uh, wrath against the Jews in World War II. I thought of the suffering and the devastation of, of even Hiroshima and Nagasaki as the atomic bombs were dropped on them. Consider the brutal attacks of ISIS and many of the extremists today. Jesus declared our world has yet to experience the suffering that can be endured in the tribulation. It's going to be very severe. Then notice the sovereignty, verse 20. Except that the Lord hath shortened those days, no flesh shall be saved, but the elect's sake whom he hath chosen. He hath shortened the days. Tribulation will result uh, from mankind's utter rebellion against God and rejection of the gospel. When grace is rejected, wrath and judgment are all that remain. You know, one cannot argue that God would be just in destroying all of creation for its rebellion. In fact, none deserve the mercy and the favor of God. Yet Jesus revealed that even in wrath, God has showed mercy and grace The world could not endure the extended period of destruction that will transpire during the tribulation. And if those days were not limited in duration, all flesh would perish from the earth. And God has set the bounds of time regarding the tribulation. Some believe that this speaks of the supernatural shortening of days. I don't know uh, that he's going to shorten the days. Many of you would rather have a shorter day, perhaps, or maybe some of you want a longer day so you can get more done. I don't know. I'm not sure just what God has in mind here, but I have no doubt that God can do whatever He pleases. And I believe it speaks merely of a predetermined duration. God will be merciful for the elect's elect sake, the saved. There's some debate as to whom that speaks of exactly, but you know, some say, well, that's the nation of Israel, God's covenant people. Others say, well, that's those who receive the gospel and are saved during the tribulation. I have no problem with either one. Whatever the case, God will show mercy in the midst of wrath and judgment. Now, there is a lesson here for us today. You say, I was hoping you'd give us something we could use today. 
You go through all this history and you say, boy, I don't know what, what that means. What's that mean for me today? Again, all Scripture is given by God, by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. So there is profit in even studying times which are in the future that we as believers will not have to go through. But the, I think the lesson is that God is watching over us. God has his eye on us. And God is going to save the day because he watches what's going on with his children. We were joking yesterday with uh, um, Isaac and Rhonda about their boys. Uh, Isaac and Rhonda were here at the uh, uh, service and uh, asked, where's the boys? And they said, oh, they're at home uh, taking a nap, you know, like there was nobody watching them. Grandma was there. God's watching always. Sometimes well-meaning parents will say to their kids, something like, well, you better be a good boy because God's watching you. Now, without really thinking of it, we give our kids the idea that God is only watching to see if we're going to mess up. There are some children lined up in the cafeteria of a school uh, for lunch, and at the head of the table is a large pile of apples, and the lunchroom supervisor made a note, take only one, God is watching. Well, moving through the line to the other end of the table was a large pile of chocolate chip cookies. One of the boys wrote a note, take all you want, God's watching the apples. Do you know when we think about God watching over his elect, it's because he loves us so much that he can't get his eyes off of us. When Israel was enslaved in Egypt, God was watching. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by the reason of bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of bondage. And God heard their groanings, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. And in response to their trouble, God sent someone to help, and that was Moses. God never takes a break. God never skips a beat. The psalmist says, Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. You see, he's, all, he's up all night watching you too. Now I think we can agree that this is a very so, a sobering thought, provoking passage. If we take the time to really understand what Jesus is speaking about, it's prophetic words that are going to be fulfilled during the sovereign plan of God, and every word that Jesus spoke will be carried out just as he said. And the world will face unknown and unprecedented wrath and devastation. The tribulation will be a time of suffering and despair. Now, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, as I said already, you won't be here. But if you're not saved, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you will be alive most likely during that tribulation, if it comes at any time soon. And we don't know when it's going to come. It could come today. It could come this week. 
And if you're not saved, you're going to have to live through that tribulation. If you are saved, you're going to go to heaven with the Lord. The question of the hour is, have you been saved by the grace of God? Have you realized your need for Christ? Have you repented of your sin? Have you believed that he died to pardon your iniquity and he rose again for your justification? If not, I would urge you to respond in repentance and faith today. Now, if you're saved, I trust this passage will create a desire within you to share the gospel and reach the unsaved while there is yet time and opportunity. Let's pray. Father in heaven,